AI is not going to replace physicians, but physicians that use AI are going to replace physicians that don't. I've, I've always thought that's, that's pretty interesting, and I think that's just part of modernizing your practice. You know, there's a new tool, you got to learn it. Welcome to the Emergency Medicine Workforce Podcast, where we explore the business and profession of emergency medicine. I'm Leon Edelman, an emergency physician and co-founder of IV Clinicians. Today, we're talking with Dr. John Dayton about emergency medicine innovation and investment. John is an accomplished physician consultant, venture capitalist, and digital health expert. He's one of these guys that if you're into emergency medicine innovation, you either know John or wish you knew John because he's involved in everything. And that's because he believes in the importance of diversifying his career path. We're told in emergency medicine, um, you're going to burn out. Like, you need to have your zone. You need to have something you do. And I thought, you know, that'd be cool. I'd love to, love to be an innovator. And so around the time I was talking with those guys, Society of Physician Entrepreneurs was becoming a big thing. And there wasn't a group in Utah. And I thought, you know, maybe if I set up a group in Salt Lake City, it would give me a chance to connect with, with folks that are building cool things and have a chance to, you know, connect with, with folks in that space and, and learn how they're doing that. And so that's, that's kind of how it all started. So Dr. Dayton was fully immersed in innovation and learning all he could about entrepreneurship. In 2017, he founded a company called MedForums. When I was getting ready to take uh, my oral boards, I went to a course and it was okay, but it wasn't great. And I ended up taking another course so I could feel ready. And I thought, you know, it just wasn't really a way for me to say, you know, maybe maybe there was something better. And and you think of your network, right? You have folks that you went to residency with. You have, you know, you have your your attendings. But by the time you're going to do oral boards, you're at a new job, and you don't. You're like, you know, I'm I'm here. I'm self sufficient. I can do a great job. You're not really. In a, you're in a position where it's kind of awkward to say, hey, I, I need help with these boards. Who, you know, what do you guys recommend? And I didn't feel comfortable doing that. I thought there's just a lot of from from annual CME to specific things like like written boards and oral boards and and additional education. There's a lot of opportunity to say, well, why don't we have a way physicians can rate these? So basically, we build a Yelp for medical education, and um, proud of that in the process of selling it. Um, but that's kind of its 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 own journey. Um, yeah. This is this is one of the points in my life where I'm like. All right, well, I had an idea, but I obviously don't have the background to build and run a business. And this is what led me to be like, you know, maybe I should go to business school. Maybe I should, rather than, you know, advising a company and saying, this is what I think you should do, I should get some formal training on that. And so that's all part of what, what led to my, my current, go, you know, going back to school and being in training again. Very cool. So let's dig in a little bit to the challenges that you were that you were facing. So I think a lot of the, the listeners to this podcast are, aspiring uh, entrepreneurs. I think every emergency physician at the you know, at, at their core is like a budding entrepreneur of, of some variety. So w- what were those challenges? What were those big challenges that you faced that you didn't even realize that you were going to face when you started MedForums? Yeah, the, the ultimate challenge is anytime you build a business, you have to identify, hey, listen, who's going to pay for it? How big is the pain point? And if, and if we were we were kind of two-sided customer facing, ultimately we wanted to be a free resource for physicians, 
But at the same time, uh, then the big question was, well, who's going to pay for that? Are we partner with a you know an LMS system? Do we partner with academic facilities? Do we allow advertising? Do we ultimately we what we decided we were going to do is, is build a data play so that you know mm-hmm. as we see what people are searching for and what they're wanting to learn, then we'd be able to develop uh, information so that you know when someone saying I'm having a surgery conference in Kansas. So well, I, we know a lot of surgeons in Kansas, and this is what they're specifically interested in. And the goal was to eventually do that. Unfortunately, we didn't develop the the critical mass. So when I say, you know, that we're selling it, I need to be I need to clarify that we are not selling it in its current form. Ultimately, we end up building some nice technology that yeah. a company that wants to analyze physician feedback and get data is is interested yeah. in using it. So we are selling the technology that we built for it. So ultimately, that's one of the other things that you learn building a business is you got to pivot a lot and iterate. And, and yeah. so we've, we've tried to do that and hopefully we'll, we'll be successful through the finish line. Very cool. And one of the, one of the fuels that, that you used to, to build the company was being funded and, and advised by startup health. What was, what was that like? And, and can you tell us more about startup health? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I'm a big fan of, uh, of health accelerators, uh, particularly ones that, really, really like working with physicians. You know, it, it's kind of the opposite of, remember when we were all blessed with electronic health records and we were all told, this is what you're going to use now. And not, none of us were ever asked, hey, what, what do you actually need? What, what will be helpful for you guys? We were basically given like a cash register with a note-taking, um, you know, ability attached. It, Startup Health gets that. And so they talk with physicians. They, t- they tell their companies early on, if you're building something that you want to be in medicine, you need to know you know, who your users are, you know, maybe that's the hospital pays for it, maybe someone else pays for it, but for the physicians to adopt it, it's got to be part of their workflow. Not only, you know, they don't want to open another screen, they don't want another tool to use, they want what you're building to make make their job easier and make it more streamlined. And so they, they really get that. And so I, I'm, I'm a fan of them for that reason. The other thing that I like is they have a, like a quarterly rolling fund investment uh, strategy. They have a lot of big investors like health systems and mm-hmm. you know a lot of insurance groups and, and and that sort of thing, pharmaceuticals. But they but they have like a physician investor rate that's lower um, than their other than their other users. And and their idea behind that is they said you know physicians that build something, not you know or physicians that are innovators. Not only do they have something interesting that they're doing, but they know other physician innovators mm-hmm. and they they can identify new companies and invest in those and, and they really value working with physicians. And so I, that's, that's my background and big plug for startup health, I guess. Awesome. And from, from that early stage of your, your innovation career, uh, you've really gone a, a long way. Let's talk a little bit on the investment side of it. And then we'll talk more about the, the operational work that, that you've done You've been part of a lot of investment firms. Can you tell us about some of those and and some that you're um, that you learned a lot from? Yeah, absolutely. So, just rewinding a little bit, when I another colleague and I we set up the the Salt Lake chapter of Society of Physician Entrepreneurs. In doing that, we were trying to make something that was the most useful. So we realized that that consisted of physicians telling their stories, how they brought something to market. So Dr. Wolf, I mentioned earlier, was very nice to come mm-hmm. and do that. Dr. Brandon mm-hmm. Rosenhan, who invented the pen blade, talked about how he realized that pain point working in ER shift and figured out how to how to um, patent it and get it on the group purchase orders and eventually sell the company. 
And then the other thing that people really liked is we do pitch nights. So a lot of us, we have an idea and we think, hey, if we could just do you know this task, I could build a better tool for it. I, it'd be a lot easier. Or, if, or here's another operational thing that would, that would make my job easier. And so we, we built pitch nights around that. Folks would come with their idea. They'd talk about the pain, you know, how big the pain point was, how their solution was going to solve it. And in doing that, I reached out to the local innovation community. So that was like tech transfer folks at Brigham Young University and University of Utah, and then local angel investors. So that's like Salt Lake City Angels and Park City Angels because it's in, in Salt Lake. And then some of the venture funds, some of the venture funds that do healthcare investments in Utah. And that's like your Kickstart Seed Fund and Peterson Ventures. And so in doing that, I met a lot of the VCs and the angels and they came and they were judges and they gave great feedback and people liked those meetings. And keep in mind, this is all pre-COVID, you know, a couple right. of years later, everything would be shut down and moved online. But these were fun, interactive live events. And but in the process of doing that and, and meeting folks, this this is a little scary and it's not an earned thing by any any means. But people would be like, oh, well, if you're building something in healthcare, you should talk to John because he knows a lot of people and he has a pretty good idea, which, you know, in retrospect, probably wasn't fair to be told those people because I was just trying to learn about it on the fly. Um, but I ended up having a great opportunity to work with a lot of early companies. And then Salt Lake City Angels um, said, you know, come work with us. About 25, 30 percent of things that are pitched to us are healthcare related. And we, and we want, need to get an idea if it's worth pursuing. I said, oh, that sounds really cool. I, I don't know how to structure a deal. I don't know how to tell you if it's a good idea. I don't know how to yeah. vet the company. I can vet the science. And, and, you know, I was a little cautious about that. And I said, oh, John, that's fine. You know, so-and-so's, he's our deal expert. And, you know, this gal, she, she's, she's in charge of deal flow. And, you know, these folks, th- their sweet spot has taken an early stage up to, you know, seed a, you know series A, series B. So you don't, need to, you don't need to know any of those things. You just need to tell us, would a physician actually use this or would this actually have a place in healthcare? And so that kind of demystified that investment a lot for me. So I, I really enjoy being involved uh, with angel groups and physicians that are interested in, in innovation and doing that and thinking, God, well, I don't have all those skills. I, I would tell them, you, you don't need those. You have a very specific set of knowledge that is very desired uh, in investment groups. And it's an interesting way to connect with people in your community that are expert in different areas. And so that, that's, that's how that uh, came about. I ended up doing some work with Salt Lake City Angels and, um, and then got involved with some other groups as well as a result. Got it. One of the groups that, um, that you're involved with is called Angel MD, and they send, I think, one of the best daily updates on what's happening in early stage healthcare companies. Tell me a little bit more about uh, Angel MD. Yeah, my... my Involvement with them, I'm, I'm on their advisory board and they kind of have a token board where they say, you know, Dr. So-and-so, she's the, the plastics expert, you know, Dr. Mm-hmm. So-and-so, he's the thoracic surgeon, I'm the, I'm the emergency uh, department uh, guy. And so the way that works is they do um, pitch nights. And so mm-hmm. basically, you know, they have kind of a rolling schedule. So one, one month out of the year, they'll really focus on um, acute care focused or emergency medicine focused investments. And so we'll kind of comb the landscape, find some cool new companies that are looking for investment that AngelMD is looking to invest in, and those companies will pitch. And so that way, the goal of that night is to have a bunch of physicians interested in innovation in general, but particularly uh, emergency physicians that can listen in and, and hear about new things coming you know, to market and kind of weigh in and say, oh, this is cool. This is not cool. I'd use this, or this would be better if this tweak was made. And that's super helpful for the companies, mm-hmm. but it's also 
interesting for emergency physicians. I'm, you know, I was kind of joking about you know the EHRs earlier, and I think there's a lot of things in healthcare that make us feel like cogs and make us feel like, oh, you know, we're just you know part of the assembly line. And and I found that being involved in innovation kind of reverses that. Rather than saying emergency medicine is happening to me, and I'm able to say, you know, I know the folks that built this device, and I actually was involved in funding this one, and this is a huge pain point for me, and this is something that I want to solve. And rather than saying, you know, I'm just going to accept whatever comes, you know, in, in my packet, you know, of, of, of equipment in my ER, I, I want to be involved in what we're using and, and which direction we're heading. In. And, I, and, and that's one of the big things I like about innovation. Very cool. Yeah, one of the more inspiring stories like that is uh, about the Braslow tape. So we kind of grow up knowing that the Braslow tape exists and assume that Braslow just means something related to pediatric resuscitation or colors or something. Well, Braslow was a dude, right? So Braslow was a pediatrician who worked in in ERs in, in rural North Carolina and was like doing resuscitations in the middle of the night on, on kids and realizing like he couldn't remember the doses for epinephrine for kids and intubation meds and how deep the tube should go and all this stuff. And he's like, I just wish there was like a piece of paper with, the answers to these things that I need over and over again and created the Breslow tape. So uh, I think it's, it's really kind of deep ingrained, deeply ingrained in emergency medicine that we, we can solve the problems in, in front of us and, and be innovators. Absolutely. You'll, you'll hear people joke about, you know, our, our, our specialty patron saint is MacGyver and, you know, we right. want to figure things out. We want to build solutions. And I think that's, Kind of across the board. In, interesting enough, uh, Ken Milne that does the the Skeptics Guide to Emergency Medicine, yeah. he he ha, he's working on a Braslow update, where he said, unfortunately, the weights of kids when you know Braslow initially did his research were <laughs> a little bit underweight. Now that the kids are older, maybe we need to figure it out. And so he's actually in the process of pairing a a board that weighs the kids and measures the height and kind of. Um, kind of helping uh, make an update. It's really interesting to talk to folks. Not not only do you know are we in a situation where we, we find cool things, but we always can say, maybe we can iterate, maybe we can add on to this, maybe right. you know we can make it a little bit better. And so it's it's cool to cool to hear what people have those ideas. Love it. And the so the investment firm that you're or one of the investment firms that you're with now is Springtide Ventures. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So Springtide, uh, it's it is a, a venture firm that invests only in digital health, and they have a particular investment thesis involving artificial intelligence. These are things that I've uh, tried to learn about and stay up to date on. And so I'm involved with their fund as, as a LP or limited partner, meaning I, I invest in their fund. Let's take a break to tell you about our sponsor, Ivy Clinicians. Full disclosure here, I'm Ivy's founder. Both as a practicing physician and ED medical director, navigating the job market felt like going back to the days of classifieds and smoke-filled rooms. Who staffs which ED? I don't know. Who should I contact there? I don't know. What's it like to work there? You get the point. So our team at Ivy created the Zillow of the emergency medicine job market. With Ivy, you can find all 5,549 EDs in the United States, filter them by your preferences, and connect with the right employers, all for free. Your data is secure with Ivy. 
You pick which employers can see your profile. Sign up now at ivyclinicians.io. When Ivy connects you with your next emergency medicine job, we will even send you a bottle of champagne and a bag of 321 coffee beans to celebrate. That's ivyclinicians.io. All right, back to the show. One thing that you said earlier was you very quickly learned what you didn't know, which I think is a, a also a core emergency medicine skill, like being honest with yourself and saying, hey, maybe you know, I've, I've finished residency, but I'm not yet a master of the airway. Maybe I should take an airway course. At, at some point in your journey, you, you realized, hey, I need more formal training in business and in innovation if I'm going to be uh, expert on this. Can you tell us about your, your journey back to school? Yeah, absolutely. So it, it was talking about Jim Dolly earlier. I, I wrote a piece on his uh, White Coat Investor blog about why physicians should be angel investors. And, and, you know, some people are like, oh, that's a great idea. I should look at it. And some people are like, oh, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. To be good at this, you have to be super skilled. You need a lot of education. And uh, and, and initially, I'm like, oh, those guys don't know. And then I'm like, yeah, those guys know. That, that's that's fair. That's a fair criticism. And so I, I was looking at uh, going back to school and getting an MBA um, for, for several reasons, but uh, a lot of it was, I, I like doing consulting work and I like investing and I, and I wanted formal mm-hmm. training and, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to go to a venture, uh, firm and say, Hey, I'd like to work with you. And, and here's what I've done rather than I'm a doctor, you know, that that's my credentials and which, you know, I'm, I'm not undervaluing what we do, you know, by the time we make it to 23rd plus grade, we're pretty sharp at, at our, in our specific lane. But most of us didn't have any business training or anything along those lines, you know, other than our colleagues who were smart enough to do their MD, MBAs, I guess, or, or be like business majors. Far and wide, we're, we're really good at being doctors and we're really good at staying on top of that. But anyways, I, I, wanted, I wanted some additional training. So I'd already started to kind of look at uh, additional courses. Like I'm, I'm really interested in uh, AI and how that can help healthcare. And, um, and I was looking for something very specific uh, Along those lines, I thought, I don't want to learn to code, and I don't really think I need to, but I do want to understand yeah. what, what AI can do for medical practice. And so I found a course that, you know, was kind of case-based, and they said, you know, here's how, these are the different types of artificial intelligence, and here's how a, radi- a radiology group used it, here's how an emergency department used it, here's how other specialists used it, and here, here's the potential. Here's what it can do, here's what it can't do. And I thought, that's that's perfect for me. So I, I signed up for that course, and I did that, and and along those lines, I was looking at different MBAs and finding, you know, what's what's good for physicians? There's one out of Tennessee that's based purely on teaching physician business practice. And ultimately, I, I um, started the one at uh, Hopkins that's not necessarily physician focused, but definitely healthcare and innovation right. focused. And that's a that's a nice fit for me. So that's funny that you mentioned those two. So I'm actually a uh, a proud dropout of the Johns Hopkins MBA. I started it and then uh, transferred over to the University of Tennessee program oh, uh, for for a few a few weeks there. My my mother was very disappointed that I was a, a dropout. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell me about that. How, what, because this is like a this is always a hot topic, like on LinkedIn or like in the Twitter sphere. Like, which MBA is best for physicians, and what which one can you actually do when you're pr- practicing? And do you get an EMBA versus a regular MBA? And 
And what, what was your experience? Yeah, so my my path at that point was in practice management, practice leadership. And so the University of Tennessee program really was focused, like you were saying, on physician leadership. So if you want to be a leader in a hospital, leader of an emergency medicine group, that's what they taught you to do. And that's what I wanted to do. So I was very focused. It was also a one-year program as opposed to two or three years. And and one of my mentors at Virginia ASAP was in the programs. There's a lot of things pushing me in that direction. And here I am now a entrepreneur and doing all this this other stuff. But I still loved my time at, at the University of Tennessee and and can't imagine doing what I'm doing today without it. That, that makes a ton of sense. When, you know, some folks ask me, they say, well, should I get an MBA? Should I do this? And I think that ultimate answer depends on what do you want to do with it? If you want to be a physician leader, there are very specific programs for that. If you want to learn innovation, there's other programs that are better for that. And so I, I think it depends, you know, what you're after, right? Yep. And so you paired the Johns Hopkins program with the Stanford Medical Innovation Fellowship. Tell us about, about your time there. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm so lucky to, to be involved with that. And it's a little bit non-traditional. This is a, a fellowship that I, I wish would have existed when I was, you know, the traditional part in my career where people do fellowships, and I wish it was something that I they had known about, but it, it was brand new. So in the process of asking people about, you know, physician MBAs and, and chances for physicians to learn about the innovation process, I had met uh, Ryan Rivera, who's the ED director at Stanford and and also runs the innovation fellowship. A couple of years ago um, at ASAP, for a while, I, I wrote articles for Emergency Physician Monthly about there was new technology that was being presented at the conference and who was behind it and, you know, how, how could we get it to your ER and that that sort of thing. That was the angle. And, and he had a company um, where he did VR-based uh, simulation training. And that's mm. since blown up. But we'd first met at that time. And and so, I, you know, I was asking him about, you know, MBA options and thinking about that. And he said, you know, we're actually building a brand new fellowship. Um, initially, it was going to be one year and then they, all the fellowships they decided that at the at the university were going to be two years, and they wanted you to get either an MBA or MPH. So, I uh, was lucky enough to get that spot. So I'm the the first medical innovation fellow at Stanford with, with their emergency department, and and I said, sweet, I'll get my MBA here. And they said, no, we talked to you know GSB, and you know they don't think you can handle um, you know full time emergency medicine practice and and MBA school and. But sure. we'll pay for you to do one online, and so that's how I ended up doing Hopkins. Got it. You didn't you didn't travel back and forth between Stanford and, and Baltimore. That would have been that would have, that would have been difficult. Yeah, I'll step foot on uh, on um, Hopkins campuses when I go for graduation, maybe. But I've I've done it all. That's funny. Uh, online. Got it. So some of the things that that you did in the in the innovation fellowship are are really cool. Talk about those projects that you did. Yeah, absolutely. So the one I'm most excited about is, and we're about to, to publish a paper on it, we have uh, what we call the STEP program or the, the Stanford Emergency Medicine Partnership Program. But we found that a lot of companies have, have built something, whether it's a medical device or a digital therapeutic or a, a AI algorithm or an operational tool. And one of the early problems with, with building this is, is convincing a group to say, well, we want to test it in your ER. We, we need to vet it. One of the other things we've learned after we had all this digital health investment in 2021 that's fallen off for many reasons, you know, there's economic reasons. But one of the other big reasons were 
this, these investments were based purely on potential and there was no validation. And in healthcare, if you haven't vetted what you've done, you know, if, if you don't have, you know, the FDA clearance, if you haven't shown by research that it works, you're never going to get a CPT or billing code. And if you don't have that, you're never going to get reimbursement from a hospital. And so yeah. we look at this program as a way to help companies uh, with that. So we take specific things like, you know, we're interested in hospital at home and we're uh, interested in AI algorithms for sepsis detection. And we find companies that, that are building things and we, we set up partnerships. So for it can be um, something uh, as simple as just doing a, a usability study with a medical device, getting some high level physician feedback and comparing it to, you know, what exists already to other ones that are that are more complex they involve changing the care pathways and the way we chart and there's a lot of kind of red tape involved in that but we have a system to do it so that we can integrate some of these algorithms or these uh, operational tools so uh, over a, a year and a half we've had 70 companies come through this and we have active collaborations with 10 of them with with the ultimate goal being being you know Publications for these companies, you know, to, for validation and, and also pilot uh, pilot experiences, so they can be trialed in the ER and see what works and what doesn't work, and um, that's that's helpful to them. And but in the meantime, that's very helpful to Stanford because we can say, you know, we're you know we're a innovation center, and if you want to, you know, do innovation as a resident or as a fellow, you, you know, you come here, and so it helps helps us, you know, kind of in academia and helps us in recruiting. But at the same time, it helps those companies trying to build things. And there's a lot of potential with that. If we're able to do this, you know, in one ER, we can set up, you know, something similar with another hospital. And then all of a sudden it becomes a multi-center study. And anyway, something I'm really excited about. That's cool. So it, it's a little bit like the hub and spoke model for innovation. You get the the core and then Stanford finds other places where you can do the the research. That's That's really smart. That's the big goal to say, this is something that, that we've done here that pe- can be replicated maybe in another department of Stanford, but also in another emergency department. And so one of the, one of the core parts of the paper, we, we talk about, well, you know, we, we're lucky enough to be in an area where there's a lot of innovation that takes place, but ultimately all hospitals, all departments have problems that they, that they are addressing, things they're interested in, and trying to provide a model for how uh, physicians can use that, not just, not just to improve care, but it also allows for publication. It, it helps, you know, make work interesting. It gives them, you know, not everybody wants to write about traditional, you know, bench to bedside research. It's sure. really interesting to write about innovation. And the the Stanford program has this thing, the STEMI X, that um, that's happening in in a few months. Can you, can you tell us about that? Yeah, this is this is our annual conference. Um, it's the I'm trying to remember what everything stands for, but it's. Uh, the Stanford Emergency Medicine Innovation Symposium. The symposium is the X. The, the goal for this is to find what's what's new and hot in emergency medicine. Where are we headed? When we look at things like you know ChatGPT and we look at things like increasing capacity, you know, how can we address those? And so we've got speakers to uh, address those and roundtables and, and and interesting folks. And it's free. It's going to be on June twenty second. But yeah, uh, but if you go to mm-hmm. STEM uh, X dot live and that that's you can just sign up and just watch it via zoom anyways excited about that conference but i i run a pitch competition that's part of that so we're, we have companies right now sending us ideas um we're going to take the top ones um and during the conference they'll they'll do live pitches for that so we'll we'll 
select the six best ones. And then our uh, judges are folks, we, we try to focus on physicians that work in uh, venture capital. So we have uh, Justin Norton, who is at, at a GSP Ventures, and um, Somitra Thakur, who's at a Med Mountain Ventures. We're going to have someone from Andreessen because they're a partner of ours. So that's a great opportunity to get in front of some kind of some high-level health tech uh, investors. And so folks have an idea, send it our, you know, send it our way. Uh, the other thing we use these pitch events for is to identify companies doing something cool. So while not everybody's going to end up pitching during the conference, um, our, our um, partnership program will be reaching out to them to see if there's potential to work together. That's smart. And one of the kind of high-level folks that, you, that you've connected with um, founded a company called called Zeus. It sounds like you have you have an inspiring story on on how you got involved and and what you're doing with that. So, can you tell us a little bit more about Zeus? Yeah, so Zeus is a company focused on health data interoperability, and so it's not hard to convince an emergency physician that this is a pain point for us. We we still live in the world of faxes and trying to get the patient's records, and you know you ask them what medicine they're on, and it's a little white pill, and they say things that are obviously not not very helpful, you know, through no far, fault of their own. But ultimately, we at the core, we need to get a basic idea of, you know, what's this patient's medical history? What's their medication list? And how do we put their past health history in context with what's going on today? And so, you know, I, I think about this. I, I um, worked on the Hopi Reservation uh, for a hmm. couple of years, and they have their own um, EHR, and so if someone isn't from, you know, 30, 40 square miles, and then they come to the ER, I, it, particularly at night, I have no way of getting history other than saying, well, where have you had care before? And trying to call that hospital. And, and, and eventually, you know, you you hear, well, you know, it's medical records. You got to get to that. They're closed. And so I'm trying to bug one of our colleagues. Hey, you know, it's Dr. Dean. Can you help me out? I just need a record on this patient. And I'm bugging one of my colleagues in the air that I know they're super busy. And so yeah. and anyways, I love this idea. It's a, it's a pain point that's really interesting to me. So I've done a lot of locums work and I'll, you know, as I drive, I'll listen to, you know, I'd be kind of Eric Topol's book, but I read Jonathan Bush's book, Where Does It Hurt? How he mm -hmm. built Athena and, and built an, an EHR. And, uh, you know, this interesting story of, of pivots and how he eventually, you know, built a, a big company that he scaled. And so Zeus is the second one. And I don't know Jonathan, and he's he's not, well, I do, I do now, but I, at the time, I didn't know Jonathan. He's not in my network, and I thought, I'd really like to work with this company. I really, you know, like the idea of being an advisor. I really feel like I have something to offer. Um, I wonder how I could connect with them. So I, like, tried to find anybody on LinkedIn that knew someone that knew someone or had an email listed, and I just shot email after email. Hey, so-and-so, I'm, I'm an ER doctor. You know, interoperability is a huge pain point for us. I really feel like I can help. I can add value, you know, I'd love the chance to be an advisor. Eventually one of them wrote back, he said, oh, that, you know, that sounds great. That's what we really need. We're to the point where we have some ideas, but we need to run about past a doctor mm -hmm. and kind of get an idea. So th this is a, one of the companies that I, that I work with and it's a really great experience. They, they're very good on the tech side. They, they've identified a major pain point, but they're also very open mm -hmm. to hear what physicians think. And so I, I'm involved in helping get physician panels together for them and, designing the physician user experience. That's been a really cool experience. But basically it came from like me saying, this is something I want to do and kind of kind of hustling to find it just because <laughs> initially the, the cool folks that work there were not people that were, were, were in my network. 
when people think about innovation these days, what's probably probably the next word out of their uh, of their mouth or in their mind is is AI or ChatGPT. Yeah. Do you do you see that impacting healthcare? Absolutely, and and the the way I see it impacting, I, some people get nervous and they think, oh, you know, we're going to get replaced and we're going to have all these new models that replace the physicians. I, the, the way I see it being helpful to us is that we can. Um, just get rid of like the redundant things that, that we don't need to do, like the multiple click-throughs that should just be a one-step process. Or I, I I see it as a solution to some of our, you know, some of our hassles, some of our frustrations. Um, and it, it, there's an interesting quote about that. I don't know if you guys follow Bertolin Mesco. He, he's the medical futurist and he always has interesting publications. But one of his things is AI is not going to replace physicians. But physicians that use AI are going to replace physicians that don't. I've, I've always thought that's that's pretty interesting. And I think that's just part of modernizing your practice. You know, there's a new tool. You got to learn it. It's like the surgeons, right? They could say, I'm going to do everything open. But the ones who are like, maybe this laparoscopic idea is a good thing. Maybe I ought to add that. I, I kind of feel like chat GPT is something similar, you know, for us. Yeah, that makes sense. So this is a total pivot. Let's talk a little bit about your faith because you, you really bring a lot of insight into the the practice of medicine related to your faith. You're um, you're a member of the LDS Church, and I actually did a a, a mission trip here in, in Raleigh, North Carolina. So, can you tell us a little bit more about how how the church informs your journey through medicine? Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you asking that. It, it, it's an interesting question. We, we talked about my 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 mission. I was in Raleigh some of the time, and um, a military town and a tobacco town, and you know, traditionally you think. You know, when a member of the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints or a Mormon goes on a mission and, you know, the bicycles and the musical and all that. But uh, you think, well, they're, they're going somewhere that uh, is maybe not predominantly Christian or maybe doesn't know, um, have that have that background. And so I, I have a huge family. I have a, a lot of brothers and, and one sister and all my older brothers are getting called like Japan and Argentina and Australia. And, and I'm thinking, boy, I better start learning Japanese because I think three in a row got called to Japan. And then I got called to, to North Carolina. And so phenomenal experience, <laughs> great experience. But, but ultimately, that, that influenced um, my, uh, my desire to become a, an emergency physician. Um, because in addition to the young missionaries on the bikes, uh, there's a lot of senior couples. And, and they'll be involved with more specific service. So like some are involved in like genealogy. That's a big thing in our church. Um, right. Some are involved in um, you know, workforce development. Um, and uh, some are involved in, in healthcare, whether it's taking care of the missionaries or providing care in an area. So I, I'm, I feel very um, proud and blessed to be part of a church that spent a billion dollars last year on charitable giving, and a big chunk mm -hmm. of that went to humanitarian projects and that, things like refugee relief and the World Food Program and vaccines and clean water projects. And so um, there are a lot of physicians that will go to you know, Africa or other areas where they're you know building health facilities and trying to build up. Um, community resources. And so I'd, I'd like to do that when I'm old and, and uh, older and the emergency medicine, I, th I feel like provides a good backdrop for that. Hopefully, you know, as long as we have the right tools, we can be useful wherever we are. And so that's kind of informed my, my, my desire to, to be an ER doctor. So one of your kind of superpowers is as a connector. Um, obviously, you've done a lot of things, met a lot of people, but you're, you're really great at bringing people together. Um, do you think that's you know what? Where did you get that that skill set from? 
I think there's like a Malcolm Gladwell book and he talks about different types of people and there's different personalities, but one's like a connector. And he talks about Paul Revere was a good example of this. And reading that book, I thought, oh, maybe that, maybe that's my jam because I, because I really like meeting interesting people. And then if I meet somebody interesting and they're working on a project, you know, I like to put things together and say, oh, you know, so-and-so is working on this. You know, maybe there's synergy, maybe that's a competitor, but you guys should know each other either way. And you know, maybe there's op- there's opportunity there, and so I, as a result of that, I I you know we traditionally when I started my career I went to ASAP every year, and I went to you know the the leadership and advocacy conference. And the last couple of years, I've I started to go to conferences that are more more broad as far as where does emergency medicine fit in this you know problem we're facing in American healthcare. And so I really like conferences like Five and uh, mm-hmm. HLTH or Health, however you say it, and. And I went to Dan Craft's Next Med, and and so I I really love meeting interesting people and engaging with them, and then as a result, you have end up with you're you're lucky enough to have really cool friends and and yeah. you know connect people and try to figure out ways to work together, and so that's something I really enjoy. Awesome, I do have a few concluding questions. Um, one is, what makes you optimistic about the future of emergency medicine? I, I think part of going to some of these conferences that are more like interdisciplinary thinking about, you know, where does emergency medicine fit in the grand scheme of things? You know, we're really good at seeing folks for their, you know, personal crisis in that horrible time. Um, but but we really need to evaluate with that discharge plan rather than, you know, clicking a box on who their primary doctor is. I think there's a lot that can be done as far as making sure they get that follow-up appointment. And, and you know, where social determinants of health and addressing that was like, you know, the right thing to do and a nice thing to do in the past, it's now going to be like a CMS requirement. It's going to be something that we're evaluated mm-hmm. on. Um, but but I like that opportunity because I think we have a, a bigger chance to kind of connect folks with community resources and be, be more involved in that way. I, I'm very interested, you know, from a venture capital standpoint of what are things that we can do for people that want to self-triage before coming and, and how are we going to, you know, how can we affect their care after they leave the ER and Oh, and is hospital at home, is that something that should be played, a role that should be played, you know, by internal medicine? Or do we make a push like, you know, Jared Conley and David Whitehead at Harvard have to have ED-led hospital at home? And so um, those are those are some things that are very interesting to me. I think, you know, rather than being frustrated that we have, you know, folks that never see who they need to see and they bounce right back to us, I think we can be more involved with that planning process. And I think we're, we're going to need to be the way we're shifting to value-based care and and things along those lines. And so I, I you know, I think it's hard to imagine a department that deals more with um, frustrating aspects of healthcare. At the same time, wherever that's the case, there's more opportunities to build something and more opportunities to make a difference. And I think that's a unique plan, a unique situation that we have as emergency physicians. Yeah, no question. So another concluding question that I always ask is, is there someone in your emergency department or for you in your in your business ventures that you want to highlight as a particular superstar or rising star um, in your eyes? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. So I, I mentioned Ryan Rivera earlier. He's he's amazing to work with. He's been really great to work with the last couple of years. Uh, talked earlier about physicians and in, in venture capital. I think I mm-hmm. think we provide a unique insight and we can kind of shift how things are invested and how things change. And so I'm a big fan of uh, VC firms that hire physicians. So the biohealth team at, at Andreessen, those guys are so sharp. And um, Brenton Fragnoli and his team at Alicorp, I really like their thesis. And then 
we, we have a, someone that's coming to Stanford as a resident, but he's already been an investor with both Andreessen and, um, and Alley Corp over the last couple of years. A guy, uh, as, as a med student, his name's Sherman Long. He had, th- this guy is, is a rock star. And so there, there's a lot of folks that are, that are very cool like that. I, I'm really a big fan of folks that gather innovators. So like your Dan Crafts and Arlen Myers of Soap and Yuli Chittapalli of Innovator MD. I'm a big fan of those folks. Awesome. And what book or movie would you recommend to our audience? Oh, so I just saw Air. And I think it's phenomenal. I mean, I'm a big Michael Jordan fan. and But there are so many scenes that involve like getting a deal and you know, talking about your value proposition and, you know, the, the Jordan family wanted a, a shoe deal that was different than anybody had ever done. And they were talking about, you know, how are we going to evaluate doing something, that, you know, that's, that's never been done before? And is that going to be good or bad? And how do we do that? And so anyways, I think there's a lot of corollaries between business and, uh, and, and opportunity with that movie. Um, anyways, I like that one. Very cool. Yeah. And I think the best founder book about how they started their company is actually uh shoe dog Phil Knight's Phil Knight's book about how he started uh, Nike. Yeah. Big, big fan. Sweet. Yeah. My favorite story from that book was that he actually didn't have a name for his company. So he goes, he goes to, to Japan to like find somebody to make these, these shoes. And this is, I guess in the early eighties. And so He's he's at this like factory meeting and they ask him, "Well, what's your shoe company called?" He's like, "Uh, uh." And so the only thing that comes to his mind is that he was a runner and he used to get these like blue ribbons as you know the the for winning these races. And so he was like, "Blue ribbon shoes." <laughs> and so before Nike was Nike, it was blue ribbon because he just sort of pulled it out of thin air. <laughs> One of the things I found was fascinating on that movie, like, you know, living now, you can't imagine Nike not being like a behemoth and dominating, um, you know, dominating shoes and culture and, and clothing. But when that when that movie was set in a time where they were just they were really good at, you know, folks that were joggers and folks that were runners, but they didn't really have like, you know, any play in, in the NBA, which I which is so funny to to imagine. But I, it's interesting to see how like one decision and one deal all of a sudden made them, you know, the players. And obviously, you know, with Michael Jordan, who was the best of all time. But anyways, really, really interesting. Very cool. So folks are inspired by, by what you've done and, and by where you're, where you're headed with your investments and innovation. How, what's the best way for, for our listeners to, uh, to connect with you? Uh, LinkedIn's probably the best. Uh, I'm not as active on Twitter as I should be. And, mm-hmm. Sometimes my, my email gets a little bit um, wayward, but LinkedIn's probably the best. I, yeah. I try to post a, a weekly set of articles I think is interesting, and I just frame mm-hmm. it as you know, digital health and innovation grand rounds, and folks respond to that and, and, and uh, correspond with me that way, and that's, that's a, a great way to reach out. Well, Dr. Dayton, it's been, it's been fantastic. You're a real inspiration, and thanks for joining us today on Emergency Medicine Workforce. Hey, thanks, buddy. Appreciate your time. Thanks for listening to the Emergency Medicine Workforce Podcast. If you have feedback for us or just have some thoughts on this episode, hit us up on social media at 
EM Workforce. And don't forget to subscribe now to this podcast on your favorite podcast app or at emergencymedicineworkforce.com. This podcast is edited and produced by EarFluence. I'm Leon Edelman, and if you're in the emergency medicine trenches, I appreciate all the work that you do. We'll see you again soon with the next episode.